Welcome to Maestro's On Air, presented by the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra, recorded live at Maestro's Cafe, located at the Brevard Central Library and Reference Center in beautiful Cocoa, Florida. Maestro's On Air is a discussion of culture, news events, and life on the Space Coast, and highlights the music, the concerts, and the personalities of the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra. Today's show features President of the Symphony Board, Eric Lee. Now your host, SCSO Director of Communications, Bill Trudeau. Top of the morning to you, Eric. Ah, top of the morning to you, Bill. Ah, thank you for that. It's uh, nice to be back at Maestro's. Oh, yes, it is great. It's a beautiful, uh, sunny day today. It's a little bit uh, chilly, but uh, it's good to be back at Maestro's um, eating, which I enjoy eating very much. What did you have for lunch today? What did I have for lunch? Well, I had the chicken and rice soup, and I had, uh, I got to tell you, I have to say it was the best tasting bread I've had in a long time. It's just a multigrain bread, right? Who oh knew? yeah, anyway, I love I love that multigrain. Yeah, but I it's said really you know I said shove it in the toaster. So he did. I came out. He put a little butter on it. You know the real butter, yeah. not, not margarine. Oh yeah. Anyway, um, it was great. Oh. It tasted like sourdough bread. No, no, multigrain. Oh yeah, it's really good. Did, yeah. I thought you had the um, chicken sandwich special today. No, that was yesterday. Oh, so you killed it yesterday. <laughs> I closed out. So far, I've closed out. I've successfully closed out two sandwiches here at Maestro's Cafe. That's very good. I'm yeah, very proud the of Cuban you. Cuban sandwich. And, which was uh, last week. And the chicken ciabatta. 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 Well, I was going to have the chicken ciabatta today, but instead, Dan has come up with a new special. This is really good. It's also on a ciabatta roll. It looks good. It's got good. a bunch of leafy... Romaine lettuce. Same color scheme. Mm-hmm. Whole bunch of turkey. Yeah. Provolone cheese. And he's got like the sun-dried tomato pesto thing going he- on. You paint a heck of a picture there. It's really good. Let it me looks t- good. Let me tell you. I'm really t- hungry today, so I've got two sides. I've got the um, loaded baked potato soup. You've ah, had that, right? loaded baked potato soup. That makes me... Uh, You've you know had what? that, right? Yeah, and it made me feel like a pirate. Arr, Pirates lo- used to love potato soup. Arr, the loaded baked potato soup. Seriously, they'd pull out their guns, their muskets, and... Eat potato soup and you know, yeah, there go, you go kill a lot of people and steal things. And then I've also got <laughs> this is also had this last week the um, balsamic vinaigrette pasta salad. Yeah, That's, you've had that too. Yeah, right? oh, it's good. oh yeah, it's good really stuff. Good. Really good. If you're um, in the area, and want to stop by Maestro's. I think we still got some, enough turkey. Unless Bill gets hungry and wants to have a snack, <laughs> <laughs> then you may have to eat something else. That so. was really uh, an early warning for all of you. Who uh, get over here, Maestro. Get fans. over here quick. So yeah. did you, so did you watch the Super Bowl? Yes, I did. Did you? I did watch it. All right. So did 114 million other Americans. Well, you would think everybody watched it, but apparently not. No. We no. found out, you know, uh, before the program that our producer, Jeremy, Jeremy did not watch the, the Super Bowl. Bowl. <laughs> but he's very busy. True, true. He doesn't have time to, you know, uh, you know, do that sort of What's thing. What's your he's alibi? Very bu- he's very busy. <laughs> didn't feel like it? Oh. Wasn't interested? You know, I'd love to hear that in a court of law. That's right. Uh, where were you? What's your alibi? Eh, I just didn't feel like it. Right, then that they wasn't go, interesting. Then they go, guilty. <laughs> Gentlemen, as much as I love hearing you talk about food and football, don't you guys have some announcements? Right, we were just uh, building things up. That's what we do, build things up. All right, as you've all requested, 
you want a little bit more content. A lot of requests. Right, a lot of requests. We're, uh, this is our hour show. We're fattening it up. Kind of like my waistline when I have too many sandwiches <laughs> here at Maestro's Cafe. That's, that's utterly sandwich. ridiculous, Eric. That's utterly insane. So, anyway. It's, I don't know. That's funny. We've got a powerhouse interview yeah, for you today. Big interview coming up because right. we are extending the show. Right. And, and uh, we wanted to, you know, start it with a bang, some real meat and potatoes stuff. Yeah, that's right. That's Aaron right. has um, interviewed Colonel Hal Gibson. He is a powerhouse in the musical world, and we're really fortunate to have him in our area. The guy even has buildings named after him. Oh, yeah, he's a, yeah. He's so, a great um, guy. Well, let's go to the interview. All right, sounds good. I'm all ears. There are very few musicians and conductors who have had an impact on the music world as our next guest has. Colonel Hal Gibson has conducted concerts in all 50 states and in 36 foreign countries. The first person to be named Conductor Emeritus of the U.S. Army Field Band, Gibson also is the only person to be named Professor of Music Emeritus by the Georgia Board of Regents for Columbus College, now known as Columbus State University. He has achieved numerous honors during his career, including being selected to form, command, and conduct the Multi-Service Department of Defense Bicentennial Band, and he has also received the prestigious FIMU Alpha Symphonia International Orpheus Award. He's a rock star, and he's had such an impact in my life as a musician and as a person, and I'm thrilled to have him here today. Artistic Director of the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra, and today I'm joined by my great friend, Colonel Hal Gibson. Thank you for joining me. Well, what a great pleasure it is to be here. It's great to see you. You've got quite a storied history. Uh, Let's hear a little about how you found your love of music. Well, I guess it began very, very early. Uh, I was always interested in music, and when I was in the elementary school, somehow I was uh, asked to lead all of the uh, singing for the group, and mm-hmm. uh, somebody fashioned a little uh, baton that was kind of a cross between a drum major's baton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I uh, heard the junior high school band of the adjacent junior high, and immediately said, Oh, I've just got to get in that band. I'd played in some little rhythm bands and so forth. And um, I have always been so fortunate to have both inspirational and knowledgeable directors. And the uh, director of this junior high school band, who was obviously quite young himself, was just such a person. He was a marvelous clarinetist. He'd play all of the parts on his clarinet, but um, uh, had a wonderful sense of humor, and um, it was just... uh, great, great thrill to play in that uh, junior high 
band. And the um, music that they played was uh, really uh, quite substantial. And uh, it was just a great start. And uh, from there, I went to class in high school in Oklahoma City, which was rated as one of the finest, uh, well, one of the finest high schools in the country. But the music program was just absolutely outstanding. In those days, we had national band contests. Now, I hasten to add that when I say those days, I'm talking before World War II. Right. (laughs) I go back a while. And um, you had uh, regional contests where bands would uh, compete, and those that were finally selected to be the finalists would appear in these national contests. And our band, uh, every year that I was in high school, in those days high school, three-year uh, we we competed, but while I was in high school, I also began playing in both the band and the orchestra of Oklahoma City University, and that was conducted by a person that also became an important mentor. That was Dr. James Nielsen, and a very very fine musician. He was. Um, one of the early musicians inducted into the National Hall of Fame for Distinguished Band Conductors, which is in Troy, Alabama. Right. He's also a uh, past president of the College Band Directors National Association. Very, very fine musician. And um, uh, he asked me to play while I was in high school in all of his groups. And so when I uh, was ready to enter college, of course, he brought me over on a full scholarship. And uh, I was there for not quite the full year before we were called into active service. I had uh, um, joined what was called the Army Specialized Training Program. That was an unusual a program for young men in college. And the idea was that uh, not knowing how long World War II would last, it was probably going to be necessary to send many of these young men on for further training and skills that would be needed, which were primarily engineering and medicine. Uh, they did have some for languages. And uh, nearly all of us were put into B1 engineering, and that's mm-hmm. what I was put into. And uh, I said, oh, don't put me in engineering. I hate math. Put me in language. I'm very good at languages. I've studied three languages already. I said, no, you're going to be an engineer. <laughs> but having seen these big posters on the wall, keep them flying, I just decided that's where I should uh, be headed. Right. And so I... Um, uh, applied for, took all of the tests, and was accepted to become an aviation cadet. Now, at that time, I had never set foot in an airplane. Never. In those days, now, in the pre-World War day, day, not many people had the wherewithal 
to learn to fly, right, or to fly at all. And, and uh, commercial airlines were very expensive, only for uh, the rich and famous. So um, I began that uh, uh, study of aviation and uh, found a new love. That was I soloed in a open cockpit PT-19 in 1943. And if my math is correct, that was about 71, almost 72 years ago. And I'm still flying. I was flying yesterday morning. That's crazy. With another World War II pilot who is even older than me. Wow. And when we landed, I laughed. I said, I don't know which would be considered the craziest to go flying with another 90-year-old, <laughs> but we had a wonderful time. I'm I glad now, to hear that. Uh, I've had four airplanes since I lived in Melbourne, Yeah, and this is the newest. It's, um, it's an experimental plane, actually, and uh, so it's quite different from anything I've ever had before. I'm sure. But, uh, but that has very little to do with music, but um, uh, as soon as World War II ended... Uh, as with many, many of my World War II colleagues, we all were uh, discharged. We we left the service, right. thinking that that was it, never again to uh, put on the uniform. And so I uh, immediately began uh, working again. I was a French horn player, had been a professional player, and playing in a, a major symphony uh, prior to being called into World War II. And just before leaving for the service, I had auditioned for the Mexico City Symphony, which was conducted by Carlos Chavez, a very, very fine Wonderful conductor. composer. And um, so I decided just uh, on a lark to hop on a train and go to Mexico City with my uh, uh, French horn and uh, play for them. He said, oh, you're in. At that time, there were 18 Americans playing in that orchestra. Uh, Some very, very fine players. Some from the uh, uh, New York Philharmonic that would play down there in their season. And um, I did that until there was a big controversy with the American Union. And uh, this had to do over a performance that the symphony was supposed to do at the um, Texas State Fair, which is in Dallas. So uh, having left the um, uh, symphony in Mexico City, I again contacted a friend of mine that I had known when I was assigned in Japan uh, when the war had ended. I still was in for a few months and was in uh, Japan, and uh, that's kind of a strange story. While I was in the Philippines, uh, World War II had ended. This was uh, in uh, August '45. And I was approached by one of the clerks, and they said, um, Kay Kaiser, who was a radio personality, is coming over here with a couple of young ladies, and they want to put the band together. And said, in looking at your um, service folder, it says you're listed as professional musician. Mm -hmm. I said, well, that's true. But I said, 
not that kind of music. I said, I don't know anything about that kind right. of music. I, I'm a symphony player. Right. They, and this clerk said, look, just go up there to Manila, act like you know what you're doing, and get out of this hellhole. I said, well, that sounds like a good idea. So I did, and, and we put the band together from people just like me that were over there that had played but never uh, pursued music in the service. And it uh, turned out to be a pretty good band. Uh, so uh, they said, well, listen, we want you to go ahead to Japan and uh, form a band there. Said Because we're going to be sending thousands and thousands of trips there, troops. So on the second day of September in 1945, which was the day that Douglas MacArthur was signing the peace treaty, I flew overhead, I flew over the thousands of ships, and I mean thousands, in Tokyo Bay, landed at Atsugi Airfield with two other people from this band, and the, uh, the 11th Airborne. And these guys in the 11th Airborne, they were loaded for bear. They were grim, rifled between their legs, no smile, full battle gear, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and the the three of us in khakis. <laughs> so we got out, and I uh, looked about, and there were a few thousand Japanese soldiers there, and this one plane load of about fifty people. I thought there are a lot more of those guys than there are of us. <laughs> I hope they've all gotten the work. <laughs> so uh, we did put together what later became the Eighth Army Band. Wow, and uh, then they were sending uh, players over, and one of the um, people that came over named Larry Russell, and he was a wonderful arranger, chief arranger for Monogram Studios, and um, oh, oh, one of my my good friends in that band uh, had come from the Cincinnati Symphony, and he was Joe Frenny, who later became the first horn of the Air Force Band for about 35 years. Yeah. So I met a lot of good musicians while I was in Japan there, but I contacted Larry Russell and I said, how about coming out there to L.A. and going to work for Monogram? And Aaron, I know you love the movie music. And so that's what I did. This um, Monogram was what was called a Class B studio. They made the Donald O'Connor films, the... Uh, uh, Roy Rogers, mm-hmm. and uh, they weren't in the mainstream like uh, uh, Warner Brothers, MGM, and so forth. But it was it was a good. Studio. I'm sure it was exciting, anyways. Yeah, uh, it was, yeah. and uh, it, it was uh, different. I loved playing those those scores, and in those days, music played constantly. Once the film started, there was always music. Right, <laughs> and uh, that is not not true today. So. Uh, that was it, but uh, after that, I came back and finished my uh, education. Uh, I went to SMU and uh, completed my uh, bachelor. Just stayed on till I had the master's. And uh, while I was still in college. Uh, I became a high school band director while I was a junior in college with a Texas 
life teaching certificate right. with only two years. That would never have happened years later, but uh, uh, they were very short of men in those days. And that's why we, uh, a lot of us, they, they couldn't wait for us to get out. Right. They needed band director. And all the men had been in service. So uh, that, that was a wonderful experience. And that's where I had in my very first band, Francis Macbeth, who became uh, one of the most... Uh, a storied con- yeah. composer, yeah. Oh, yeah, consequential uh, conductors of all music, but primarily wind music. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, well, so while I was there about that same time, I was asked to um, be the uh, band leader of a... Division, Army Division, it was being newly formed, the 49th Army Division. And I was so busy, I was playing in every organization that you can think of. There was so much live music in those days. And uh, I was the first call horn player in Dallas, played all of the musicals. I played uh, uh, like the extra part, the Mahler Symphonies with the Dallas Symphony. Uh, and of course, Richard Strauss that wrote for eight horns, mm-hmm. thankfully. <laughs> and uh, uh, that was a, a, a good band. They were uh, a lot of my colleagues there. And uh, in fact, they began a competition, really for all company-sized units uh, that were judged on uh, every, every type of um, uh, standard. And uh, the award was called the Eisenhower Trophy, very, very big trophy. And the first year that was ever authorized, my band won that trophy out of 585 units in the state of Texas. That's incredible. <laughs> and so uh, one of the pictures that I still have is Governor Alan Shivers presenting this great big... <laughs> I could hardly hold it. It was so heavy to be on. <laughs> but uh, from that, the Department of the Army said, well, wait a minute, we think we could use you. <laughs> Found myself called back to uh, active duty. And uh, I was assigned uh, first with um, a division band, the uh, 4th Armored Division, and took that band to Germany. And uh, soon after completing that assignment, getting back to the States, uh, I was assigned as a captain, uh, one of the assistant banners to the Army Field Band. Mm-hmm. And I was there uh, just for a couple of years, and then I was um, asked to um, take a job called a staff band officer. I was responsible for um, about half of the bands in the continental United States and uh, made inspections. I was uh, responsible for the recruitment to see if they were all kept up to strength, that type of thing. And a job that I didn't particularly enjoy because I'm a band leader. Right. <laughs> I want to be standing like you, Aaron, on that podium. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's your calling. Yeah. Me. I don't want to go out and listen to somebody else's <laughs> band and tell him what's wrong with it. Uh, and so, um, uh, fortunately, I got a call from the uh, Military Academy at West Point. And uh, there were two things that interested them while I uh, had been in Germany they had a worldwide uh, uh, course 
mm-hmm. cotton, cotton tip. And uh, uh, I was told, well, we were going to form one from our division. So it was, uh, actually came from my band. And my chorus uh, won first prize uh, for that, that worldwide. And so when I got the call from West Point, they said, what we really earnest do, we want you to also conduct the Cadet Glee Club. I said, sure, just get you just get me to West Point in front of the <laughs> singers and players. And, that's, and the West Point band was an absolutely incredible band. This was, uh, of course, um, during uh, the time of the draft and um, the, the Vietnam. So we were getting all of those New York players, all of the Juilliard, the Manhattan School, the Manhattan School. They all sure. wanted to get up there to West Point. When I first got there, people were auditioning, and they were turning them down. I was in that guy would have been first chair in my band in Germany. <laughs> here, you're not letting him in. He was just a wonderful band. And of course, they had players that had been there for 30 years. If you're in the West Point band, that is your job. You're not assigned anywhere else. So they, they do a career there. So many of those players, like the drum major, he'd already been there almost 30 years when I got there. And uh, I was much younger than many of the players. And uh, I that that's, a for the band of years, too, a, a permanent assignment, unless something happens mm-hmm. that, that warrants their being removed. And, and so I expected to spend my career there, but I was only there 18 months when I got a sudden call one Friday afternoon that I was selected to... Uh, immediately uh, come up and uh, assume command of the U.S. Army Field Band, which is the, uh, well, I just saw it described the other day as the world's premier military touring organization. <laughs> is that what they're calling it <laughs> no, these yeah, days? No, no, it's no, a wonderful wind ensemble. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, one, of, yeah, one of the best uh, in the just, world. Yeah, it, it's uh, absolutely a band. wonderful bunch. All the Washington bands, they're, they're all just, I mean, they had the, the best players that, we have in this country. Yeah, and how long were you with the uh, U.S. Field Army Band? Uh, I was there uh, almost 10, 10 years. I would I would have retired from that band. In fact, I had 30 years, and I was ready to retire. And mm-hmm. I was um, uh, hopeful and anxious to get a uh, college band director's job. That mm-hmm. was always one of my goals. And uh, that was the time of the bicentennial. And after two years of deliberation, as only the military can do, mm-hmm. meetings after meetings with some of the most outrageous ideas I've ever heard for how they were going to uh, celebrate the bicentennial. <laughs> and I uh, knew, I'm, well, I'm, I'm getting ready to retire. This doesn't apply to me. I'd sit in the back of the room and uh, just wait for it to end. And after meeting for six months like that. They were meeting one day, and uh, one of these generals stood up. He said, well, we've talked about everything under the sun. But said, when people think of the military, they think of bands and flags, and I think we ought to have a band. Mm-hmm. Well, then I perked up a bit. I thought, well, that uh, might in some way concern me. So uh, as the time went on, they said, that's what they're going to do. They're going to have a band made up of members of all services. And then the question came up, well, who's going to conduct that band? said, well, they were going to look at the band leaders of all services 
active and retired. If the person they wanted was retired, he would be called back to active duty. Mm -hmm. And um, I was on tour, and curiosity would have it, in Florida. And I got a call one day and said, we want to come down and talk to you. Uh, we hadn't gotten to Florida yet, but we were, we were going to be in Orlando long before Disney World. <laughs> and um, I said, well, we're, we're going to have some time there. Come down there. Well, we want to find out what is involved in having a traveling band. I said, well, far more than you might think. I said, it takes a very large entourage. We use three buses, four trucks, two sedans. I said, we're carrying 110 people on the road. I mm-hmm. said, this is a, it's a very big operation. I went back, and uh, so I completed that tour, and I got another call. They said, be down at the Pentagon at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. You're going to meet with this general, Gordon Hill. He said, well, we've looked at 21 band directors. He said, we've decided there's only one person going to do this band. I said, that's going to be you. <laughs> I said, well, sir, if this had come 10 years early, earlier, I would have jumped at it. I said, I want to uh, be able to retire before I'm 50. I want to get a university job. He said, well, there's nothing wrong with being 50. He said, you're going to do this job. <laughs> so um, I did. And you did. I, I yeah. stayed two more years to do that. So I ended up with 32 years. In fact, I, I was looking at my record the other day. It was a little, almost 33, but anyway, th- 32 plus years. And uh, just started from scratch with nothing with that band. Right. You formed them? I had nothing. I, I, I walked out with a briefcase and a set of orders. And they said, you, we're going to give you two other officers to be on staff, one from the Air Force and one from the Navy. And I said, well, can I select some of my own staff uh, to um, set this large organization up? And they said, yeah, you can do that. So I took... Some of my um, oh people from the field band that I knew could just do virtually anything that I needed to get done. And I was authorized to take 20 players from each of the five Washington bands. Now, you can imagine how popular that made me with the other Washington oh, band I'm, leader. I'm sure. When I would walk into their bands and I'm here to take your 20 best Plucking players. away your uh, <laughs> finest players. And uh, so we did... Um, Get the band put together, and it was a, a, obviously a, a wonderful band. Uh, the composer, Aaron, that you know very well, Lucian Calier, mm-hmm. uh, in an article he wrote, said about the band, he said, simply, this is the greatest band in the world. So, <clears throat> from <clears throat> me, having the ambition to become a high school band leader to ending up with what was called the greatest band in the world, uh, was uh, kind of a long shot, <laughs> but that uh, uh, oh, so when when I did uh, complete my assignment there and retired, I was fortunate to get an ideal position at uh, uh, Columbus State University, doing exactly what I wanted to do, having my own wind ensemble. With no marching band responsibility, right? And so I spent um, seventeen years there. And you took them from being. Uh, we started just from not from scratch, really, right? Yeah. And over these years, you've really shaped them to be one of the finer wind ensembles in all of America. 
Well, we're back. Well, back. That's a great interview so far, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it was very insightful. Man, what a legacy! I know, and it's um, we've got more, you know, coming up. Yeah. Colonel Hal Gibson, he's a great conductor. Yeah. We're going to be and playing with him uh, next Sunday, actually. He called Colleen and I, and we're going to be um, playing for him. So I'm really looking forward to that. That'll be. Uh, I'll be next week. You're a very busy guy. I am busy. You and Colleen and yes. everybody else. But let's just talk about you for a minute. Wow. You're very busy. What else I'm, do you have going on? Well, you know, we've got the Jeff Shadley, you know, concert this weekend. I'm really excited about that. And then also I found out I'm going to be playing with Sticks, the rock band, in two weeks. You're going to be playing with Sticks. Yeah. I, lo- I love Sticks. Yeah. It's about our era, you know. It's a real Chicago band, you know, Dennis DeYoung. Yeah, so. they're very uh, theatrical. They have a million and one hits. Yep, I'm I mean, looking, guys, for, looking forward to it. Well, it's going to be um, Friday in Clearwater and then Saturday in Jacksonville. That's in a couple of weeks. So well, that's cool. It's going to be exciting. But this weekend coming very up, nice. though, we've got Jeff Shadley. Yeah, I'm looking forward it's to gonna that. Be, that's going to be huge. Everybody I know, uh, with the exception of a few people, are going to plan on going. Oh, yeah, it's going to be really good. He's got a great voice. And plus, in my personal opinion, I think he's even a better trumpet player. Yeah, he's he's a very good he's trumpet player. Really, really good. I like his singing too. Oh yeah, he's, he's a he's a great singer. He's really good. We've a crooner, got, as Aaron says. Uh, a know. crooner. Yeah. Yeah, kind of like um, you know Frank Sinatra, Michael Bublé, all that, all that sort of thing. We've got um, concert Saturday night, Saturday February seventh, at seven p.m., and then Sunday, February eighth. No, where's the concert on the seventh? At the Scott Center. The Scott Center for Performing Arts. What yes. a place. Yes, right, right off of Pineda. Right off of the Pineda. And then uh, Sunday, February 8th, <clears throat> we'll be at um, Vero Beach High School at 3 o'clock. So mark it down. Make mark your plans. Down. Mark it down. And I think we may even have a clip, I think. Huh. Through really? the miracle of technology. You think we do? I think so. All right, let's see. Do we uh, have one? I think we do. Hey, let's go to the clip. Okay. All good. right. clips go that was a good clip it was a great clip yeah it gives people a sample of what they're going to be able to expect just a little sampling a little sampling i like how you say that kind of like the uh, (laughs) loaded baked potato soup yes just a little sampling not too much not too little not too much not too little Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but i'm really looking forward to the concert this weekend i am too i think a lot of people that i know plan on going like i said anyway i'm looking forward to it. it's going to be great i like Frank Sinatra over anybody in that particular aspect. Oh, of, yeah. Uh, Chairman music. of the board. I do. Chairman of the board, old blue eyes. That guy was Can't something else. Can't beat it. Yeah. Jeff Shadley does, you yeah. know. It's not like he's an impersonator, but he's got his own spin on things, but he just really does a great job. Well. Everybody's going to love it. 
we are just about to go back into part two. Which I'm really looking forward to. Of the interview. Yeah, almost as much as the Jeff Shadley concert. You know, I'm really yeah. looking yeah. forward Colonel to it. Colonel Hal Gibson right. is a dynamo. He's a, he's a heavyweight. He's a world-famous, world-renowned conductor. And, uh, you know, uh, we're going to part two of the interview. And... Normally, it's not going to be the song, but we had to do it. I mean, this guy is fantastic. There's too much so, to say in with, just yeah, a half hour. Yeah. So. so without further ado, let's, uh, let's go. Okay, go. Let's talk about the composer-conductor relationship. It's a symbiotic one and one I find great joy in. And you've had a great opportunity to work with many talented composers. Give our listeners a little insight into that relationship. Well, it works both ways. As I would always explain to my players, we are so indebted to these people that put these dots on paper. Mm-hmm. And they, they then the composers, they are indebted to us to bring that magic from the page to the listener. So it works hand in hand. And um, it's curious that um, sometimes we, as the conductors, will do things to the work that the composer didn't have in mind. Now let me give you a perfect example of what I'm saying. Uh, The person that I always described as our most famous ever college band director was William D. Ravelli, mm-hmm. a very, very harsh taskmaster. He, I think he had a Napoleonic complex. He was a real short little person with kind of a squeaky voice. Right. So he made up for that with just being an absolute tyrant. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, he could just decimate a player, just take him apart. And uh, But he was doing the Persichetti Symphony for Band. And uh, in the fast movement, he took it much, much faster than Dr. Persichetti had uh, envisioned and what he put as the tempo marking. But once he did it, he said, that's it. That's the tempo. Right. And... Um, uh, you know, this is strange, and I write some things myself and, and change the tempo, but <clears throat> when you look at a, a piece on the paper, it looks one way, but when you stand up in front of your organization and give that downbeat, it may be quite different. And another person that has verified that is uh, my famous student, Francis Macbeth, he uh, became a conductor at the bequest of many of the other men. He said, well, we'd love for you to come and uh, conduct one of these work, the Seventh Seal, Mask, uh, (laughs) whatever. And he said when he began conducting his own works, he found out that the tempo marks he had uh, put on the paper were not really how the piece went best right and then i know aaron you found that too as you work and but another thing and when i think of tempo i always think another one of our uh, real leaders in the band world and that's uh frederick Fennell. Mm-hmm. and he always said the very first obligation of the conductor 
is to find the appropriate tempo for your organization. Right. That is important. What you might do with the Army Field Band is not what you're going to do with the Mule Shoe High School Band. Mm-hmm. It just it doesn't work like that. I've got a brief story about uh, the composer-conductor relationship. I was talking to David Zinman. Uh, he was the conductor of the Baltimore Symphony at the time. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about uh, a project he was working on, uh, the music of Michael Torkey. And this particular project is called Color Music. Uh, that's the name of the album. It's a five-movement work. Uh, each of the movements has a descriptive title, Bright Blue Music, Ecstatic Orange. And the music is very uh, evocative of those titles. Well, they got down to recording and rehearsing the third movement, which is called Green. The tempo indication on top of the score is marked slow, leisurely. But as David Zinman learned the score more and more, he just felt it wasn't exactly what Michael Torkey was looking for. And he made the suggestion to double the tempo, to take the tempo twice as fast he approached Michael Torkey about it, and he's very receptive. He said, this is what it should be. And Michael Torkey was like, you're absolutely right. And changed it on the spot. And now it's conducted that way every time it's performed. Just very interesting, uh, the relationship between conductors and composers. Yes, absolutely. All right. So Army Field Band, you were with them. You went to Columbus State. You were there 17 years. That's correct? That's correct. Yeah. And uh, now you're here in Florida, in Vieira, with your wife. How long have you been with your wife? 67 years. That's amazing. And she's a wonderful person as well. She is. And, been a and you say you're retired. Woman. You say you're retired, but you're really not. You, I mean, aside from all the traveling and, and things you're doing, but uh, you're still working in the music field right now. Well, that's true. I, I have a, a group where we live, which is the Indian River Colony Club, called the Colony Singers. And they're very active. And I'm, I'm putting together a, uh, a small uh, band. We're doing a program for the um, Air Force Anniversary Ball, which will be coming up in two weeks. Yeah. And I've written all of the music uh, for that. They're doing it on Valentine's Day, at the day after. And so they wanted uh, a Valentine's Day program. So uh, I've uh, created a group I call uh, the, the Romantic Winds, and uh, <laughs> it's all uh, uh, romantic uh, love songs for this program that we're doing for them. So I, I stay pretty busy doing things like that. Yeah, and you're still traveling yeah. and oh, taking uh, guest opportunities. Yeah. Speaking of Indian River Colony Club, you've kind of created a hotbed of world-renowned conductors, um, is is that was that your doing? Well, uh, it started that way. Um, I was the first one to move there, and uh, we have this big convention every year in 
Chicago called the Midwest Band and Orchestra Convention. And I was talking to um, one of my other service colleagues, mm-hmm. uh, Alan Beck, who had been the, uh, at that time, he was the uh, commander and conductor of the U.S. Navy Band. Right. But he was ready to retire, and he wanted to really get in golf. And I said, oh, you've just got to come down and look at our place. And in uh, 1999, I hosted the uh, annual convention of the American Bandmasters. And he was down here for the convention, but he came out and looked at uh, our place, the uh, IRCC, we call it, uh-huh. and uh, decided that was it. So he was the first one. Then there... Uh, was a conductor of the National uh, Military Band in Canada. And while I was the conductor of the Bicentennial Band, we were on tour throughout all of Canada. And while we were in Ottawa, uh, I had him as a guest conductor for the Bicentennial Band, and I conducted the uh, National Band of the Canadian Armed Forces. So we uh, became acquainted in that way. And uh, he was also a pilot, owned uh, mm-hmm. a very, very nice airplane. So we just um, established Connected, quite a relationship. Yeah. But I didn't see him for many, many years. And we were on a tour of Italy in Sorrento, of all places. And I'm looking at the list. I said, well, that's Derek Stannard. He mm-hmm. is the conductor. And uh talked to him. And um, he had at that time moved down, was conducting uh, an orchestra in Boca Raton, the mm-hmm. Boca Pops, that uh, Actually, it had been founded by another very good friend of mine, Mark Azzolino, who was a Air Force band leader. And uh, so Derek, he and his lovely wife, beautiful girl, they came up to uh, have a little visit with us, fell in love with the place, came on a Sunday for a brunch. We have a very nice brunch every Sunday in our club. They bought a house the same day. Wow. So he was the third. Then we had... Um, uh, also, a good friend of Alan Beck, as as well as as mine, the um, chairman of the School of Music at Butler University, mm-hmm. and uh, he loved Florida anyway. So even though he still is working up there, he owns a house at IRCC, spends as much time as he can. His wife is there a lot of the time. She right. uh, works for herself. Uh, something things she can do on computer. Mm-hmm. So that was um, uh, for us. Then we had a, another uh, player, from, a conductor, a band leader from uh, Ohio, who is a saxophone player. So he's moved down. We have um, a trumpet player from Ohio, and his wife plays uh, French horn. Mm-hmm. They they moved down, and just about three or four months ago. A person that came in, they asked, what did you do before he came? He said, I was a high school band director, although he'd taken time out to do a career in the Air Force, mm-hmm. uh, Jim Gallagher. So we've got now like seven or eight conductors down here. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it, it's really amazing. It's now. unbelievable. Yeah. So, you know, the orchestras and the wind ensembles and bands in this area are very lucky that they can just call IRCC and, and get a conductor on the fly if there's ever an issue. You mentioned the ABA, the American Bandmasters Association, and I know you are serving as a member of the board of directors. Can you tell our listeners a little about the American Bandmasters Association? 
Well, the American Bandmasters Association, it was actually um, begun in 1933. Uh, a person that was very, very big in the band world at that time, Edwin Franco Goldman, did mm-hmm. a oh, big uh, series of concerts in Central Park uh, for the Guggenheim Foundation. He had, he had a wonderful professional band. And he decided that such an organization was needed of the uh, real professional conductors. And so he called a a group together. There were about uh, 35. And they uh, included um, uh, John Philip Sousa, who was um, Sousa. He became uh, honorary. Yeah. But, of course, Sousa died in 1932, unfortunately. So... um, it was all of the top military band leaders, our top uh, university band leaders and so forth. And uh, they decided that it was very important to persuade our major conductors to write for bands. Uh, mm-hmm. We were using at that time primarily transcriptions of um, major orchestral works and so forth. We need our own body of music. And they uh, said, we've got to have this organization that is the elite organization. You must be uh, nominated for membership by a member, uh, gone through a certain evaluation process, and voted uh, into membership by the, the members, at, by the, the membership committee and, and the members. So one of our biggest things every year, is if we would would have maybe uh, 20, 21, 22 people nominated for membership, and we always wait for that day for the membership to say who they have decided should be members. Mm-hmm. Because not all of the members in the, uh, the entire organization agree with that. Right. And so we have a lot of discussions, sometimes rather heated, and... Uh, Pretty much considered by those of us, particularly in the band business, that uh, if you are voted into the ABA, you have arrived to some degree. Right. Because uh, usually it's after a, a very distinguished uh, career, so a lot of times people are not brought in till they're, oh, 60, sometimes even older. I, I was brought in pretty young, and a very good friend of mine, David Gregory, um, who was a past president of the uh, National Band Association, uh, has the people stand for that have been there for the long. And for the last two years, I was the last one standing. So, yeah. uh, there, are, there are members uh, that have been in longer than I have, but they're not able to make the conventions. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we're getting ready to go to uh, uh, Reno in March of this year. We'll see how... That works out there. But we're getting some uh, very, very fine new people in. New blood all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's great. You know, I want to have you back a few more times over the year because I think we could talk days about, you know, <laughs> I'm pick your brain about uh, your times with uh, some of my idols. and uh, But I just want to thank you very much for everything you've done for me. And uh, I, you mentioned the concert in 1999 you had here part of the American Bandmasters Association. I remember playing French horn. Yes. Um, I was a, I don't know, sixth, seventh grader. And uh, it was such a great moment for me, uh, meeting all these composers and conductors that I admired. And uh, that was one of my 
first, I would say, one of the most important moments in my in my younger years in music, and uh, and it's still uh, I still remember it, and I'm uh, thankful for it every day. So I just want to thank you. Well, and, uh, Aaron, before I close, I just must say this: I um, feel so indebted to you for having the initiative and uh, taking the chant that you did to form this wonderful orchestra. Thank you. Because it has been such a boon to our community. You have brought symphony music to people that never, ever would have heard a symphony before. Now, I'm going to give you one perfect example um my airplane partner who when he first became my partner oh 20 years had no idea i was even a musician he came to one <laughs> of my concerts and he'd never seen me in a tuxedo he right. seen me in a t-shirt and shorts coming out to jump in an airplane but um he's been to your concerts uh, several times and uh, we were going to be gone but uh, you were doing the concert that had to do with space. Well, yeah. he, his job was putting shuttles together. He worked on, at the space. And so, um, uh, as a surprise to him, uh, I put two tickets to that concert in the seat of the airplane when he came out. And I said, I want you to go to this concert. And he said he absolutely loved it. So his is the person you've turned into a symphony lover. Hey, those are the best kind of stories. You didn't know what a symphony was. But uh, we, we come to all of the concerts that we, we can. Enjoy them all. And, uh, but I um, am just almost astounded with what you have been able to do with Thank orchestras uh, being dissolved all over the country. And here you just are forging ahead. All we, doing we took a chance, and it was tough, but uh, you know now it's paying off. It's, it's what I love, and it's, uh, I love sharing music, as you do. And I think it's, uh, I th- I think it's great as well. So, um, but I appreciate you uh, joining me today, and, uh, and I know the listeners will get a kick out of um, hearing uh, your stories. So uh, thank you so much. Uh, my pleasure to be here, for sure. was some interview eric you realize uh that was only the tip of the iceberg yeah that was a great interview yeah. aaron said he's going to have him back for another one i yeah. can't i can't wait i mean there's so much information there it's impossible to to have all of that condensed into one interview exactly he's a yeah. font of knowledge yeah so we're happy to say colonel hal gibson will be back he'll be and back. more than just once he'll be back um and next, what other um what other um concerts we have coming up i know we've Talked about Jeff Shadley. What else do we have um, coming up there? The Spizwinks. Ah, the Spizwinks. Spizwinks. 
Spizwinks. Yeah. I want to say it again because I like Spizwinks. Yeah, it's really good. (laughs) They were here last year. Uh, It's a free concert. Tickets are going really fast. In the meeting we had this week, I think Brevard may almost, if it's not sold out, it could be sold out. If it's not sold out, it's going to be. Yeah. So you're Vero prophesying. Beach, Vero Beach is still... still are you, are you predicting available. or prophesying? Is Either, that the same? I think it's about the same right. thing. Vero Beach, there's, as far as I know, still tickets available. Um, I'm not sure about uh, Brevard. Brevard may be sold out. Hmm. Brevard just may be sold out. Right. And the, let me give you the um, info on that. Please. Vero Beach is March 11th. I'm on pins and needles. I know you are. Uh, (laughs) That's Wednesday, March 11th at 7.30 p.m. in Vero Beach. 7.30, of course, is a great time for a weekday concert. Gets you time to get home from work, you know, put the feed bag on and get over to the concert. It's the best time. It is the best time. I mean, I don't know if it is, but it sounds good. I think it's the best time. And then the next day, March 12th, at the Scott Center. Hmm, The Scott Center. Same time, The Scott Center for Performing Arts, just exactly. off the Pineda in exactly. Yeah, Thursday, March 12th, also at 7.30 p.m. Perfect. And then we've got, you know, the Manfred Symphony coming up, too. That's also at the end of March. Yeah, that was the one that you weren't sure you played before. Yeah, I don't think I have. Yeah. I don't think. You don't that's think, what Aaron was talking about. But you're not sure. Week. I'm pretty sure I haven't played it before. On a scale from 1 to 10. That I haven't played yeah, it? or that have you have. Played? No, that you haven't. I haven't. No, let's, let, no, that you have. <laughs> I no, 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 like that a, you haven't. That you haven't. <laughs> I haven't, probably like nine or ten. I don't think I've played it. But like Aaron said, it's kind of an obscure symphony. You know, it's like sandwiched in between, you know, four, five, sure. and six. Which sandwich. are the big ones. I've played those lots of times. You had to say sandwich, didn't you? I, did, I didn't even you think do. about you that. You like mixing food with uh, music. I, I know. Am. You I do. love eating. You love it's it. Part, it's part of my charm. And then the Manfred Symphony is uh, March 21st and 22nd. All right. Well, that's a full agenda, a full schedule, a full book of excitement coming up, if you will. And yeah. I will. The question is, will you? I will be there. Yes, me too. Um, coming up next week, we also we have uh, another interview. This is also a very special interview with Executive Director of the Brevard Library Foundation. Ned Keller. Ned Keller. Yeah. Looking forward to that. That was a really good interview. That's one that Bill and I did. I even got almost teary-eyed a little bit. You know what? It was very emotional. Yeah, me too. You too? Well, no. No. But I didn't want to be be left out. I must be soft. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're soft. I think so. But that was really interesting. All right. I got teary-eyed, I know everybody's going to look forward to that. Yeah. Yeah, it, It will be paramount. We're Fair trying enough. to stay away from the word great. That's right. You're still working on your thesaurus. Still so. working on it. Kind of like yep. uh, Tiger Woods is working on his swing. <laughs> well, an- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Another happy, exciting show has come to an end. We must say goodbye from Maestro's Cafe. Bill and Eric saying, we'll, we'll see you at, at the, the show. show. <laughs> You've been listening to Maestro's On Air. Brought to you by the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra. Remember, you can support the symphony in many ways, including a visit to Maestro's Cafe, located just inside the main entrance to the Brevard Central Library and Reference Center, 308 Forest Avenue, Cocoa, Florida. Maestro's Cafe serves a variety of coffee and other drinks, as well as breakfast and lunch selections, and is open most days from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., with extended hours on Tuesday and Thursday, closed Sunday. 
For more information about the symphony or upcoming concerts, like us on Facebook or visit our webpage at spacecoastsymphony.org. And remember, as always, we'll see you at the show. We'll be right back.